Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, hospital doctors and other busy people in high-stress jobs. Working in today's high-stress environment, you may feel like a frog in boiling water. Things have heated up so slowly that you might not have noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. You've got used to feeling constantly busy and are often one crisis away from not coping. Let's face it, frogs only have two choices, to stay in the pan and get boils alive or to hop out and leave. But you are not a frog, and that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more choices than you think you do. There are simple changes that you can make, which will make a huge difference to your stress levels and help you enjoy life again. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP turned executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this so that together we can take back control to survive and really thrive in our work and lives. I'd like to tell you about our new CPD forms. If you want to learn while you listen and claim CPD points, then go to the link in the show notes and sign up to receive our fully downloadable podcast CPD forms. Each one is populated with show notes and links so that you can listen, reflect and then note down what you're going to do. A quick, easy and enjoyable way to do your CPD. In this episode, I'm chatting with Dr. James Tambiraja. James is a portfolio GP in the first five years after qualifying as a GP. He is the outgoing lead for the first five group for the South West Thames, and he also sits on the National RCGP First Five Committee. James has an interesting in wellbeing resilience, and I wondered if newly qualified GPs had a bit of a different take on resilience to us and what we could learn from him. I hope you enjoy this conversation. So I'm really pleased to have on the podcast with me today um, Dr. James Tambiraja. He is a portfolio GP and he's also the first five lead um, for South West Thames region. So welcome James, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. So James, as well as um, being a portfolio GP and the first five lead, what other stuff do you do with your time? Yeah, so I suppose I, you know, I do eight sessions a week. Um, I do it out of hours at the place that I trained at Premier Park Hospital, which I, I love, weirdly. I, I, I do really enjoy that. Um, I do prison work as part of my contract as an accession. So I do a women's prison clinic once a week, which is very challenging, but very rewarding at the same time. Um, I do St. John's Ambulance. I've been doing that for about eight or nine years. Oh, coming up to nine years now. So I do crowd medicine. I'm very interested in um, being a crowd doctor, so I've done Lord's Cricket Ground for nine years, done Wimbledon for three or four years, um, made a lot of good friends and colleagues through that way. Yeah, those are the main, wow. um, and I look after a nursing home as well, so that's kind of elderly medicine as well. And on top of that, do the first five and the RCGP stuff, which I'm very passionate about. So not very much then. <laughs> yeah, well, no, no. As well as being father to two with one imminent on the yes, 12th of November. Yeah, so any day. So our first two children came two weeks and one week early. So, yeah, so we're kind of, you know, about 38 weeks now. So, yes, any time now. Okay, so could actually be during this podcast. Yeah, my wife is upstairs, so we'll see if she calls me. That's the only thing I'll go up for, but that's real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not allowed to disturb me apart from labour. Apart and from labour. And that's yeah. fine. Yeah, she's very understanding. <laughs> yeah but nothing else so I, I wanted to talk to James because I think we first met because you got in touch with me about coming and doing some well-being yeah. talks for the the faculty for a, for a day that you were having for your first five and we got mm. talking about resilience and mm. I was just really interested in the work that you were doing sort of with the first five but also I guess as a first five GP yourself mm. so when when did you qualify 
So I qualified 2016 and towards the end of 2016 from Frimley Park GP training scheme and pretty much started straight away. So I started as a salary GP in Southwest London in Cheam in January of 2017. Been doing eight sessions a week since then. So it's almost coming up to three years now. Wow. And so how did you get involved as the first five lead? <laughs> um, funny story. I, I I qualified, I was on this high, you know, you do all these exams and you kind of achieve what you want to achieve. And I was very aware that I wanted to be, you know, I found my GP training scheme very supportive. I found my friends supportive, my mentors and my trainers. And I realized that the reason why I moved to Cheam to work was that I was commuting from Southwest London to Frimley about an hour each way. And so when I, I chose this job close to home because it'd be great to be close to my family and help with school pickups and then I realized actually I didn't have anyone around that I knew kind of both GP friends or you know trainers or even the hospital was different so everything felt very new and if, if I'm honest quite you know frightening so I wanted to get involved with the first five and I'd heard about that and I you know I was kind of you know wanted to get involved and I did some you know uh, you know inquired and they basically said oh James there's no first five small group around here and they used to be, but kind of fell away. And I said, oh, okay, that's a shame. And they said, oh, James, but there is a vacancy for a first five lead. And I went, um, well, it's not right. It's not really, really what I you know, was hoping for, but you know, like everything in my life, I you know, came back home, discussed it with my wife. And um, you know, it was a big decision, but I just thought, you know, you know, why not? And I just thought I'd be first five lead. And I thought it was a great way just to get to know my cohorts, um, get to know the area. And just to kind of, and you know, I, it kind of started by joining the faculty uh, and then putting myself down for first five lead, being voted as first five lead by my faculty. So it wasn't just becoming first five lead, it was getting to know the faculty and being on a few board meetings, which I still enjoy and I still will carry on. And so, yeah, that's how I got to become first five lead. So it was <laughs> fortuitous and a bit, you know, it was a surprise, but, you know, it was a happy one. That so often happens, doesn't it? You, you yeah. see a need and yeah. you go, well, what can meet my need? And they go, well, there is no one can meet your need. You've got to meet it yourself. And then you end yeah. up sort of running exactly. stuff for other people. That's well, I, I, completely, I, I completely felt unprepared. But, uh, you know, it was just one of those things where I thought, well, if I wanted to see change, I thought I can, I can be that change and just do it myself. Yeah. And for those of you that are listening who are doctors, not GPs or, or work in, in sort of other industries, at first five, we're referring to the first five years after a GP is qualified. And they can be quite a lonely, quite a difficult time, can't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, you know, like I alluded to before, when you're training as a GP or as a junior doctor, you're surrounded by people. Be in the hospital or the practice or you know, as a GP trainee, you have your training, your teaching sessions once a week and you meet up with friends and you study, revise, and suddenly you become a GP and you're all alone. You're all in a room by yourself. Our GP is in an old house, so there's no real meeting room. And in my training practice, we would have a coffee break. All of us would meet together. Whereas, you know, here, you know, we don't have the facility for that. So you're pretty much isolated. So it's a big culture shock, to be honest, um, when you become a GP. So having that first five community um, was really important for me even being a lead but just having people who are in the same boat as me or just qualified and we could all talk to each other and I found that incredibly useful. Mm. And what other pressures are there on you know GPs when they first qualify because I know that you know I guess you suddenly leave your 
quite nice training scheme where you all know each other, you get quite a good level of supervision from your trainer. Suddenly, A, it's the world of working, you don't get the level of supervision, but mm. is there anything else that's, that becomes a real pressure on people? I think the pressures of keeping up to date, um, not just academically, but keeping up to date with your admin. I found the admin just kind of increased to another level when you become a GP, uh, keeping up with letters, with referrals, um, working in an area where people wanted their referrals yesterday as opposed to in a week's time. I found that a huge challenge and still do. Um, trying to keep up with local guidelines as well as national guidelines, trying to keep up with kind of new clinical reviews, new papers, and all these kind of things all kind of without having the kind of safety net or being in a training scheme or having kind of a trainer to look after you, you just do it on your own. I'm really thankful in my practice. I have a mentor who's brilliant and, and that's, we meet up regularly and that he's been, you know, amazing really kind of just shepherding my career so far for the last three mm -hmm. years. And he's been a partner about 25 years. So it's helpful to have him in the practice. Wow. And was that put in place for you by your, your salaried scheme? Yes. I've not really heard a, that happening very much. Yeah, no, it was, um, it was a real privilege and blessing really because kind of you join the practice and you're just assigned to a partner as a mentor so it was very nice to feel that I could still go to him if I needed help or advice and I still do and there's still things obviously I struggle with and things that I'm still working on even three almost three years in I'm not ashamed to say that and you know I'm very lucky and our practice is not just the partners but you know healthcare assistants who've been there for a long time or nurses have been there for a long time it's just people who you can go to and talk to so we're very lucky our practice is called team family practice and it sounds cheesy but we really feel like a family it's very nice and you know it's very supportive that's mm. what so i'm really interested in what issues you're seeing in terms of resilience obviously this podcast is about what what small changes we can make to make life better and you're not just the lead for the southwest thames first five sort of scheme you also sit on the the, the rcgp first five committee so yes. what are your colleagues saying what are you hearing from people is that what the main issues people are facing i think what we're saying a lot is you know kind of time pressures of working long hours and well-being really well-being you know i'm not just saying it to you rachel because it's about well-being podcast but well-being is a big factor for us within the first five because we're seeing a lot of you know, I have colleagues, my friends who are kind of my co cohorts, you know, regards to they want to get involved with well-being or, you know, dealing with burnout, dealing with stress, taking time off. Uh, you know, these are very real issues in first five GPs. You know, you hear it a lot in senior GPs, but we're seeing it a lot in first five GPs, which I found the most surprising. Yeah. Or, you know, GPs taking too much more than they can handle or giving. And then you, there's all sorts of things like bullying in the workplace or sexual harassment. These are things that we can hear. GPs um, who I meet who are on the same level as me you know and I met them a couple of years ago and they're working 12-hour days no breaks no coffee breaks no no time for lunch and it's just it's a dire situation and so that's I'm hearing that lack of support long hours and poor well-being those are three main things I would say and what do you think people should do about it <laughs> the million dollar question yeah it is I can say you know confidence what helped me was talking with other people who are in the same boat as you is really important and I think if you kind of isolate yourself and just kind of stay in your room or kind of you know this I won't mention them there's some Facebook groups which aren't which are helpful and some which are not and I think sometimes there's a danger when you go online whether it's social media or Twitter or Facebook or social media and that in itself can be quite toxic so I think sometimes just talking to people face to face or mm. 
messaging someone or meeting up with someone, having a coffee with someone, I think that's really important. And so for me, meeting up with my GP friends and colleagues, be it kind of with the committee or with a coffee or meeting up for a meal, that's really important for me. So I think that helps. To answer your question, I think meeting up with people, physical contact, mm. even if it's not physical, kind of WhatsApp or phone call, something that's intimate and not kind of, you know, trees of social media, which can be quite mm. dangerous, I think, sometimes. So does that make sense? Yeah, uh, it, it does make sense. And I was just sort of reflecting that I think mm. it's not just, you know, it's not just first five GPs that need this. It's older people too it's you know people like me or you know I qualified in as a GP in 2002 and I was presenting our lead managed thrive course um the other week and this chap came up to me and said oh I just want to say you know the thing that's kept me sane is my young practitioners group and it's been going for like 25 30 years and you know he was just about to go for the weekend and I think he's going to come on the podcast and talk to me about it because you know I think actually the longer you work in a profession, sometimes the more isolated you can get because mm. I guess you end up running the practice or you end up in management or a lot of your friends move away or it's just yeah. easy to lose touch with people. Yeah. And in a way, there's a sense of we're not all in the same boat because we're now in very different positions where yeah. Yeah. someone's doing this, someone's doing that. I guess that at least with the first five, you are generally, you know, there's a lot of commonality there, isn't there? Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, you mentioned the Lee Managed Thrive, and I've told you this before, but I don't want to embarrass you. But I remember, I didn't know much about well-being. You know, you, you kind of had a mentor, had a supervisor, and I just thought, well, I wanted to try this course out. So I remember seeing it on Red Well, and I thought, okay, let's try it out. And I remember your lecture, and that's how we got in contact afterwards, didn't we, for, the well, for our well-being event. And you brought up something in your Lee Managed Thrive, which I still do to this day, which really helps me, um, is the Work Reflection Diary it's um, kind of reflecting on your work throughout the week and that I still do that um, to this day and it, it really helps me and I you know I've shared that with other people because I think that's really important and I think perhaps it's drummed into us reflection reflection as a GP trainee <laughs> but this is slightly different so I put this on a separate folder or I put it as a kind of an Evernote tab so I can always go to it wherever I, wherever I am whether it be on my phone or whether I'm on a train or on a bus and I can just think about how my work week's gone uh, that's really kind of a good way for me it's been you know really helpful in regards mm-hmm. to kind of processing what's gone on and what's gone well what's not gone so well what can I improve and they're not very long entries but that's really helped me and I learned that from Lee Man's Thrive and then you kind of meet people at these courses who are like-minded so I think kind of a long story cut short going to a course like Lee Man's Thrive or going to well-being course or going to a first five committee meeting you may not feel like going yes it's another annual leave day or a study leave day or but I think the benefits of going to these courses or meeting someone or meeting committee members you know has positive kind of uh, ripple effects doesn't it so you know for the rest of the you know at least for a few months until you meet again yeah yeah, find, it's finding your tribe, isn't it? It's a mm. sense of belonging. And yeah. interestingly, I did some training for receptionists this afternoon and I oh, talked yeah. about the inner chimp and, you know, how, how mm. this comes out when you're, you're stressed, it's your amygdala response, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And looking at the feedback forms in afterwards, you know, almost everyone said in the feedback forms, it was so helpful to talk to other people in the same situation. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And so I think well, whatever profession we're in, just feeling we're not alone in dealing with stuff and we're not abnormal for feeling like we're feeling we're not weak because we're struggling that is really 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 key yeah so one thing I think 
we can learn so when i say we us really old gps <laughs> 14 i guess qualified 14 years um yeah. past uh, before you you know people have made the observation that there's quite a difference in the way we've approached careers so mm. when i qualified most people sort of went off into partnerships or went and got salary jobs with the mm. view to perhaps becoming a partner and on often worked you know i guess eight sessions like yourself or even nine sessions or, or even 10 sessions <laughs> yeah yeah and now people are saying to me, actually, it's pretty unheard of for a, a newly qualified GP to want to go off and do more than six clinical sessions. They'll always Absolutely. go off and do something different. Mm. And I mean, I think that is entirely sensible because in, in my view, yeah. the more we can diversify in our careers and do other stuff, yeah. the more resilient we are because we yeah. can use other bits of our brain. You get different team around you. Mm. Um, you know, do you think that just happened gradually or do you, is that something you guys have been taught or is it just something that gets fed down the grapevine of this is the best way to do things? I think it's a good question. I think it's a change in culture because I was coming up as a junior doctor during the junior doctor's contracts, kind of strikes mm. and things. Okay. So that, I think that was a shifting tide, uh, you know, I think, you know, we were, we, we, as a junior doctor, I was very much aware of my hours, my rights as a doctor, and then mm -hmm. suddenly these, this new contract came and I was on the <laughs> picket line, so to speak, you know, when I joined that contract and we had a very supportive chief exec at Friendly Park Hospital where I was a GP trainee, so that was very helpful. So I think there was a culture change, whereas my dad was an ENT surgeon, and in 69 or was retiring this year, I don't think there's very much a difference between his generation and my generation, um, how junior doctors were. You kind of get, you got on with it and didn't talk about your problems and you didn't talk about your struggles. Whereas when I started SHO, you know, there were suicides amongst young junior doctors. And, mm. and we were told as an in induction, you know, if you needed anyone to talk to you to come and talk to us and you know in, in the firm that I joined as F1 so these kind of things I think were well-being was pretty much to answer your question very much drummed into us that we could talk to our consultant we could talk to our trainer um, if we needed support now sometimes you know there'd be an overlap between the two systems you know the old school and the new school and sometimes you'd have some consultants very supportive and some who weren't or, and similarly with GP so I think it all depends on the culture that you grew up in are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash getyourlifeback. I do think that, you know, there has been a shift in the way my generation sees their work and but I think it has been for the greater good in the sense that we're talking more about our mental health and we're talking more about our well-being. Resilience is a big factor amongst GPs. And I think that's something that wasn't discussed about 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. So to answer your question, I think it's definitely more apparent, but I don't think there's as much of a stigma as it used to be. I don't know whether that you would say that, Rachel, if that makes sense, that I think we're more open talking about it than we were perhaps 10, 15 years ago. So I have heard some sort of older GPs mm. 
having a little moan about the the new generation of GPs saying yeah. you know they're much they know they know their rights and they're not prepared <laughs> to go the extra mile and yeah. and I would say actually maybe that's the right way to be is actually know where your boundaries are yeah. and, and be able to stick to it I mean what do you think about that? I think it's a culture change isn't it it's a you know regards to I suppose that generation or older generations you'll do everything to you work longer work later to kind of work for that job or that consultant job or that GP partnership job and and the work was paramount whereas now actually you know for me it's more I want my family to be my priority I want not just my family I want to be able to do stuff outside of work you know you know and I think if a GP said oh that you know you know your rights and you know you know you're not working as hard well I think I think that's a good thing I think if you want to focus on your family or focus on your hobbies or you want to focus on doing triathlons then great you know or if you want to focus on traveling and take your time because you know without sounding morbid at the end of your life you don't want to be I want to be the best doctor I can be which is great you want to be that but you want to also be the best husband you want to be or the best Mm. father or you know the best cousin or brother and you know or stepdad or whatever it is you want to be yeah someone's gonna write on your gravestone you know here lies beloved gp or you know beloved lawyer or you know they'll write beloved husband and father and yeah and that i i do think that's something that you know my generation or the generation before probably you know my dad was a gp and he was uh, very much in a cradle to grave type thing and yeah. you know it, it very much sort of would deliver the babies and then sort of see them married and you know look, then look yeah, after yeah. their kids and everything but it it just changed i think i was a bit of the transition of that i do remember in my first job being heavily pregnant with my first mm. with my first child and we got a, a call for quite a late visit it was about half past six or something and it was dark and it was to a really dodgy block of flats mm. and going to one of the senior partners came past and I said I'm really not comfortable doing this visit <coughs> on my own in the dark to them mm-hmm. and you know what his answer to me was he said Rachel you'll go to heaven oh. <laughs> that wow. was it that was it wow. that was it about the visit yeah. and you know that was the only response it wasn't like you know I think and, and think that sort of you actually give your your all even your yeah. pers- you sacrifice your personal safety yeah. to, to do this was you know I, I guess yeah, I don't know. It's it a bit of a cusp, wasn't it? And then I guess there's a school of thought think, that thinks, you know, we let the job get to this point mm. where by not standing up and saying, no, that's that's not right, that we're working mm. like this or whatever, mm. it's, then nothing's really been done about it. And then at, at the end of the day, what happens is everyone just leaves. But at some point, you just have to see where your priorities are and you have to see what's best for you and your family and all your well-being but yeah it must be very difficult sometimes you want to do the best you can for your patients but at the same time it shouldn't mean sacrificing your own health so what would you say to a a gp like first five or final five or mid-career who Mm -hmm. felt like they were working far too much with sacrificing their health and their perhaps their families or their hobbies or their, or their happiness you know what advice would you give them um so i would say to that person who's thinking that just work is just work and nothing else i just think take a step back and think what made you happy before this what makes you happy outside of work and for me it's music spending time with my family you know for other people it could be you know i've started running again so that's really helped me as well and that gives me a lot of headspace to think and reflect and I've really enjoyed it. I guess people then think well I, I don't have time for that how do I do it <clears throat> I guess I've observed when, when I've been coaching people that you know people say I, I just don't have any time I, I want to do stuff we actually end up mapping out their week mm. and just seeing what they're fitting into their week you know mm. they're fitting 
you know, six sessions, which isn't really six sessions. It's more like nine sessions yeah. because for me, a 13 hour day is not six sessions. <laughs> you know, three days of that is not six sessions. And you end up saying they're doing, and then they're kind of trying to squeeze in so much extra things as well, but maybe being an appraiser or doing this or doing that and doing this on the side. And, and actually it's looking at what does your week actually look like? How much time does your work actually take? And what can you drop? I think this, this concept of, I don't have time for this, I don't have time for that. There, there's a really good talk about, um, a good TED talk about time management. This sort of time management coach said yeah. that she'd got this woman to write down every single thing she'd done in a week. Really busy businesswoman that said, I don't have time for anything. Yeah. Anyway, during this week, this woman's basement had flooded and she had to get the plumber in and get yeah. someone to clear it up. And they calculated that within this week, it took her seven hours to sort out this flood. Yeah. And if you'd asked her the week before, do you have time to deal with the flood in your house next week? Do you have no, seven hours? She'd yeah. have said, no way, no, no way really. do I have seven hours. Yeah. Actually, she made time for it because it was important and she did it. Yeah. And you're right. I think a lot of the time we think we are overloaded and yeah. often we are overloaded with work, but actually we do then just fritter away the, the other time that, that we've got. Yeah. And we're not so sort of intentional about doing stuff that will build yeah. us up and refuel us like playing yeah. the violin yes. or something else. And we just sort of waste it on well, screen. Screens a lot has a, it's a big culprit. DIY doesn't come easy to me. And I've been trying to do more DIY around the house, you know, half time. So making time for that, because that needs to get done as well. So it not, might not be the kind of cool hobby. It might be something that, oh, I need to fix that shelf or I need to go to the post office and things like that. Yeah, carve out the time to find a man to fix the shelf. Don't yeah. <laughs> like, do it yourself. Get someone, you can pay someone else to do something you don't want to well, do. Well, I tell you what, YouTubers, YouTubers save my life, Rachel. They're YouTube, uh, yeah. Oh, that's screen time, isn't it? Sorry. But uh, yeah, YouTube um, uh, videos for regards to DIY and things like that, that's going to help me. So I'm Actually, not... I managed to fix my daughter's brakes on her bike using YouTube. I was very proud okay. of myself. There you go, yeah. So it's really helpful, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think I remember, I'm really sorry, but I've forgotten her name, but she came on your podcast a few weeks ago. She was talking about the little things that made big gains. Oh, uh, yeah, Catherine Hickman. Yeah. And she was saying little things about doing something little that kind of trigger something to do something mm -hmm. extra. And that really kind of helped me. So, for example, I've been running more and I just thought, well, let me just put my gym kit in my car yeah. uh, and putting that in my car because that means that okay, I'm passing the gym on the way home. I have no excuse because my gym kit, my bag is in my boot. Mm. And so that kind of helped me. And I think those little things, it sounds very obvious, but actually that little trigger really helped me with regards to kind of running or gym. I've been challenged more recently to be, be around for my friends and be there for my friends and my colleagues. Mm. But I was really challenged because I just felt like, well, actually I can be very selfish and just think about what I'm going through. And then i you know, completely neglected my friend who's halfway across the country and, you know, and he's going through something and I, you know, I want to make sure that I'm there for him. So I think that's been a, a challenge because obviously our lives are busy, as you've said, mm. but I think for me, sending that email or sending that message or meeting up for coffee with that friend is important. And I, mm. and I think, you know, especially we recently had World Mental Health Day. And I think what I really liked about this kind of campaign this year, which was a couple of weeks ago, was asking someone, are you okay today? And I found that really kind of moving because I just think, you know, it's really important. Sometimes you don't know, especially with GP, we talked about how isolated it is. You can go through your whole day without talking to anyone. Mm. Um, okay, of course you talk to patients, but you won't talk to any of your colleagues. And then one of my colleagues came the other day. She said, oh, James, thank you so much for that chat. 
the other day and I, you know, we're honest, I don't remember <laughs> what, what I said, but I just think if what I try and do now in between patients, just to have a smartwatch that tells me off and I don't move around and I kind of, I get up, go to the kitchen and speak to receptionists mainly because my watch tells me off, but because, <laughs> and, but I took it as an opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to go talk to so-and-so and see how they're doing today. I'm going to talk to the receptionist. I'm going to, offer them to, you know, because I want a coffee, does anyone else want a coffee? So for me, that was a good way of kind of getting plugged into the people that I work with. Because like you said, as a GP, sometimes you're just sitting in your room all day, see your patients, do your admin and go home. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you find that you've gone a whole day without talking to anyone who's not a patient. Our colleagues are our friends and we spend most of our time with our colleagues, really, <laughs> throughout yeah. our lives. Yeah. yeah. I like that question. Are you okay today? It's much better than how are you, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's, and I think that's, you know, it's a bit more layered, isn't it? Giving is one of the ways to well-being. So giving by being able to send messages and spend time with people is, you know, actually will make you feel better as well yeah. as making them feel better. Exactly. Yeah. That's good as well. And I just think this, this whole thing about connecting with people at work, I think my next campaign is going to be for the coffee break because there's yeah. just so much evidence about, informal connections making teams stronger and Mm. all that sort of thing and it is so isolating Mm. being in your yes of course patients you're talking to them but there's something about the support you get from colleagues just in a coffee break going oh you know what what do you do about this or you know how are your kids or you know well well, I think you know in my training practice when I trained kind of in Yately uh, which is kind of in a primary park hospital we had a coffee break every day uh, at 10.20 for the whole practice. And there was no patient seen during that time for 15 minutes. So the whole practice, we get to this coffee room, um, nurses, receptionists, admin stuff. We talk about, you know, what was on t- TV the, you know, the previous night, be it Downton or <laughs> Bake Off or whatever it was. And but also we talk about stuff that was going on in the news and all the doctors would talk about patients, not so much so, you know, all the time, but it was a place where we felt comfortable. We can support one another. And I just felt as a registrar at the time, I thought this was brilliant. I thought all practices had that, but you know, they don't. And they, I just thought that's something I miss. And it's difficult because I think in our practice, we can't you know, do that because we you don't know, have the space, but we're hoping to get a new premise soon. So that'd be something that I'd be championing, definitely. Mm. But I've seen the benefits firsthand and it's, it's fantastic. And you get to know, you know, I'm still friends with the GPs and my trainers from that practice to this day because and I'm not just because I trained there but because of those coffee break connections that makes sense. I heard an astounding stat the other day that if you have friends at work or if you have a good friend at work it adds seven years to your life expectancy. Oh wow yeah. Seven uh, years! Seven years. That's amazing I don't not sure if I complete that one I believe that it will add some years but seven. Oh, I'm glad I'm prioritizing it now. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I can see that though. I think I mean, this goes back to full circle what we're talking about well being, wasn't it? It's about kind of looking after yourself. And I think sometimes if you work so hard that, you know, you don't see the positivity around you, you don't see the people around you. And I just think you're missing out so much on life. I mean, that is the way that trust is built within a team. Yeah. And I always, you know, think the practices that really don't have, I mean, there are some practices that can't you know with the premises issue is a big one yeah. I think for some people yeah. but obviously you sounds like you actually do have a coffee break because you said you get up you go get a coffee you go talk to people so that there's your there's your mini coffee break there even oh, if yeah. one or two of you stood in reception with a cup of tea yeah. talking to each other and you know it's that that builds up trust because if you sort of know someone and know what their weekend was like and you know 
what their kids are doing and stuff, then actually yeah. the relationship's there. And then if you do have a difference of opinion and disagreement, you, that's okay. And I find it incredible when, you know, on courses, I'm talking about the importance of connecting with each other at work. And mm. there's always someone that goes, oh no, we just don't have time. We just don't have time to do that. And it's like, oh my word, first of all, you need a break, right? So yeah, that is just, you are so much more efficient if you've had a break. And secondly, connecting with people, is, it, it gives you such a sense of well-being you know having friends at work that you don't really have time not to do it and I was asked by a a GP recently came up and asked us after the course you know I'm in this practice she said with two partners who hate each other who who won't (laughs) speak to each other and and I'm trying to get this I'm trying to do something I'm trying to make a change in the practice and it's really difficult and we didn't really know what to say to that because actually if, if there's no communication if they're if the feeling's like that in the practice, then what's the culture going to be like and, and how are you going to do anything? And there's nowhere to, there's nowhere to hide when that's the issue. Mm. So I, that must be incredibly tough. And I think, I think it's important to be open. So, you know, you know, you're bound to have disagreements with the people that you work with and you're bound to have differences of opinion, but I think you need to respect one another and you'll be able to talk to one another. Mm. But um, yeah, like you said that, you know, if that happens, that becomes a very toxic atmosphere and, you don't, and then that can lead to, you know, communication breakdown and relationship breakdown. Uh, which, yeah. uh, and even without sounding cheesy, Rachel, I think that's, you know, if we're not communicating with each other, then we won't be able to communicate with our patients properly. Well, we I guess that's exactly what I was really worried. I thought, well, yeah. you know, if, if that's happening in the practice, then actually what other issues are there going to be in terms yeah. of, you know, patient safety and, yeah, exactly, and how yeah. are you going to provide a great service for your patients if, yeah, you can't even get over it yourselves? Yeah, and I, I think, and that goes back to what we were saying about kind of looking after each other because if we're not looking after each other it not only are we looking after our own well-being but we're looking after our patient's well-being you know your patient doesn't want to see you stressed or mm. upset or angry obviously no one wants to see us like that but you know i have a gp and i would i'd hate the fact that if my gp was struggling or i feel very sorry for them but at the same time you want them to be at the best kind of peak physical and mental health really wouldn't you you want mm. them to be well supported and looked after and i remember i think after you know, I went to your lead manager and thrive course where I had someone say that talking about kind of well-being and thinking, do you want your doctor to be kind of stressed or tired or do you want them to be refreshed and or do you want them to be kind of re-energized? And I think it's important that, you know, patients realize that we need those breaks. We need to be able to go on courses and study leave and things. And we're not robots, we're not machines. Mm. And I think it's important that, they realize that but if we're not looking after ourselves and we're not talking to one another in the practice then that's just a re- you know recipe for disaster really yeah yeah it's like how would you like your gp right i'll have a gp who's well caffeinated oh, yes. <laughs> sugared up yeah. and not knackered thank yeah. you very much and that will be fine well exactly and then they think well you know do you want your gp to learn yes do you want them to yeah. like study or you know learn all the you know be up to date yes well you need to give them time to do that well so, no i want to see them today and it's all that kind yeah. of it's that you can't have it both ways you need to make sure but that is and that's the pressures of the nhs isn't it you know i have a patient who said to me yesterday well, a few days ago she said you know doctor getting an appointment with you is like getting an appointment with the pope and i just thought okay <laughs> it's like well i'm really sorry you know but at the same time it's i do work there full time i think it's really important as well for gps to realize that actually looking after number one i.e themselves isn't a selfish act yeah. It's actually really important for their clinical performance, for yeah. you know, for their happiness, which actually then leads to good performance, all, all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's not selfish, it's actually vital. 
So James, I, we could talk about this all evening, yes, I think. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But um, we'll wrap it there. James, if people wanted to contact you, how could they find you? So you can contact me on Twitter. I do a lot of first five stuff from there. So it's Jay and my surname, Jay Thambiraja, Pat Jay Thambiraja on Twitter. Through the first five Southwest Thames page as well, um, I'm there. And what else? Yes, and also through kind of faculty board members at the Southwest Thames as well. So I'm kind of heavily involved in those in events there. Um, but yeah. That's one of those two things. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on and would love to get you back again another time soon. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rachel. Thank Cheers. you. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe to the podcast and also please rate it on iTunes so that other people can find it too. Do follow me on Twitter at Dr. Rachel Morris and you can find out more about the face-to-face and online courses which I run on the youarenotafrog.co.uk website. Bye for now.